I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. How many of you are glad to be in God's house this afternoon? How many of you are glad to be in God's house this afternoon? If you're happy to be alive, would you put your hands together and praise God? I was having a conversation with one of my friends and we said that we are getting old. What we mean by that is that we are realizing that people we know are dying, people our age are getting sick, so we are no longer, we feel no, we are no longer part of the invincible crowd. You know when you're younger, you feel like you just got every day, all the time, but as you get older, you realize that you don't have all the time. So that's what I'm saying. If you are happy to be in God's house this afternoon, would you put your hands together and praise God for the fact that you are still alive? It's not because you're any better. It's simply by one word. Grace. I wish I had a witness. Um, this is not me buying time. This is just me taking the time to praise God and enjoying the fact that I'm breathing. Amen? If you have your Bible with you, would you please join me in the book of Philippians? The book of Philippians. As my son being a witness by crying. Amen. 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 We are family church, so it's okay. Amen. Philippians chapter 4. Would you please stand for the, for the reading of the reverence of God? For the reverence of the reading of the word of God. Philippians chapter 4, we're going to go into a very familiar passage, but I want to read verse 10 through 13 for context. Philippians chapter 4, if you've been in Sunday school more than two times, you know Philippians chapter 4, 13. That's probably one of the most misinterpreted verses in the entire Bible. Philippians chapter 4, I'll read for you from the NIV version, the NIV version of the Word of God. Hear now what the Word of God says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, somebody says learned, to be content, say content, Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need. Say, in need. I know what it is to have plenty. Say, plenty. I have learned, say, learned the secret of being content. Thank you, PJ. And in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living or in plenty or in want, I can do all things. I can do all this through Christ, through him who gives me strength. But we know it as I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Thank you, Pepper. Um, I want to preach from the simple subject, the secret of being content. The secret of being content. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, we thank you. 
We thank you for the breath of life that we are enjoying as we speak. We thank you for being a good and gracious and loving God, that you love us more than we love ourselves. And more importantly, you love us first. So as we come to the pinnacle of this worship experience, speak to our hearts, for we long to hear from you. Speak through me, for we are listening. We know there's no preaching without praying. And there's no preaching without your Holy Spirit. So may the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable unto your sight. O oh Lord, my rock, my Savior, my Redeemer. And the church of God say, Amen. You may be seated. The secret of being content. Philippians 4.13, as we continue our series, um, Fall Classics, and if you remember, first Sunday of the month, we talked about um, introducing the series, saying that we want to go through some of the familiar passages that all of you know, and we want to make sure that we establish the foundational truth that's in those passages. So we started with John 3.16 last time. And today we are in Philippians 4.13. And in case you didn't know, that's Steph, Scurry, um, Steph Curry's favorite verse. As a matter of fact, it's being said by, it's been reported by ESPN that once Steph Curry was done with his fourth year in the league, he was wearing Nikes. Nikes is the shoe that every basketball player growing up want to wear. But Steph Curry had a contract meeting with Nike. At that time, he was prone to get hurt. They call him paper ankle at that time. And they actually did a, a presentation for Kevin Durant. And they disrespected Steph Curry so much that they did not even change the name in the presentation that they did for Steph Curry. But they were still showing Kevin Durant's name and picture. And they offered him not much money, but it has been reported that one of the deal breakers for Steph Curry was not so much about the disrespect, but the fact that he wanted to write scripture on his sneaker, and Nike said no. He wanted to write Philippians 4.13 on his tennis shoes, on his tennis shoes that he wear with his paper ankle, but they said no. The reason why Steph Curry wanted to, ESPN reported that, by the way, the reason why Steph Curry wanted to write Philippians 4.13 is the model that his mother taught, taught him to live by. And now you may say, well, Pastor Kerry is just trying to be relevant with the young people and you Steph Curry. But the reality of it is this. Philippians 4.13 is a model that we all can live by. Now, again, we're going to see that there's some misinterpretation in the text. And hopefully you understand what the text means. But nevertheless, it is something that we all can stand in whatever the circumstance. You can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, the reality of it is this. We live in a world where dissatisfaction is the subject of the day. We are not happy people. We live in the richest country of the world. We have more means than anybody else in the world, but we are the most unhappy people in the world. That's why therapists would never go out of business, because we are very unhappy. Praise God for that. My wife is in the field. Amen. She's always going to get a job. 
But the reality of it is this. We are in a country where we are in a mode in the Western mindset where we always want more. We're not satisfied. We are, we don't know what it means to satisfy. As a matter of fact, somebody, they said this, rich people are more dissatisfied than poor people. It's Biggest Smalls, the greatest rapper of all time, says this, more money, more problems. See, y'all children of the 2000s, you don't know what I'm talking about. But you know, it seems as if this, we live in a way that if we get something, we don't know how to truly enjoy and be satisfied in what we have. The more we want, the more we got. As a matter of fact, if you have a car, you say, I want a different car. If you have a house, I want a bigger house. If you have this, I want a bigger this. We seem to be not in a way to be satisfied. Well, Paul got something to say about this. The book of Philippians is one of my favorite episodes. Episode means letter. It was one of my favorite letters that Paul wrote. As a matter of fact, it is known as the most positive letter that the apostle Paul has written. Uh, walk with me down to the book and I'll give you the context. It's, as a matter of fact, it's called the joy episode. The word joy in the, in the book of Philippians is found at least 15 times. I gotta break down, they'll pop it up to you. At least 15 times. In the first chapter, it's four times. You find the words four times. Here it is for those of you taking notes. In verse 14, verse 4, verse 18, verse 25, 26. In chapter 2, it's six times. It found six times the word joy. Somebody said joy. In chapter 3, twice. In chapter 4, four times. At least in every chapter of the book, the word joy in one way or the other. By the way, the Apostle Paul used five different Greek words to talk about joy. And so, if you really want to break it down, this is how Chuck Swindoll put it down, right? It says simply this, in chapter 1, you can say, joy and living in Christ. In other words, Christ is my life. In chapter 2, you can say, joy and serving Christ and unity, Christ is my model. In chapter 3, joy and knowing Christ, Christ is my goal. And in chapter 4, which is where we find ourselves, joy and, res and resting in Christ, Christ is my contentment. Somebody says contentment. So here in chapter 4, verse 10 through 19, Paul is expressing his gratitude to the Philippians for their kind expression of love and generous gift they sent to him. Now here's the thing, Paul, in case you don't know, Paul is writing this joy letter while he's in prison. <laughs> okay, let, let me, don't get quiet on me. Paul is writing this letter while is in prison, pretty much on death row. And here is Paul writing a letter about joy while he's in prison. While I, you would say this, this is the time for you to be moping. This is the time for you to be mad. This is the time for you to be mean. This is the time for you to be, woe is me, the pity party. No, Paul says, I got joy. I got joy, joy down in my heart. Yo, 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 new Christian, you only know new, new, you only know new age song, but I remember growing up in the church. I got joy, 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 joy. 
down in my heart. And this is Paul's expression of joy down in his heart. So here it is, even before I go anywhere, his circumstance, based on our 21st century living, does not mean joyful. But here is Paul being jailed, being enchained next to somebody, under being in prison, being enchained, and he's writing to a church that used to support him that has not had the opportunity, and based on what they said, it has been 10 years since that church had sent something for Paul. You, you guys know what that means, right? In other words, uh, the, the, the pastor, the preacher, the church supports the pastor and the preacher. And Paul is in prison. And now back in those days, similarly to our home country in Haiti, back in those days, if you're in prison, whatever you need, you still got to buy it. It's not like here in America, people go to vacation for prison. In other words, what you need, you still got to pay for it. Here's Paul being in prison. And they had not, that church hadn't had the opportunity to bless him. But now they said something. And Paul is writing to show his gratitude. And he said this, I know you've been thinking about me. That's what verse 10 says. I know you've, you, you've been thinking about me. But you just hadn't had the chance to show your kind expression. And, and, and now so we see Paul is writing about being content. But you said, what contentment is he talking about? The guy's in prison. He's in chain. He broke. But yet, he's talking about being contentment. So what does contentment mean? Here is the Greek term that means contentment. It simply means to be self-sufficient or to be satisfied. Somebody said, be satisfied. It is the same word that in Corinthians, Paul used to mean sufficiency. It gives this notion of where you don't depend on any help, on anything for help. And this is not the American self-centeredness that I don't need nobody. This is where you realize this. It doesn't matter what other people can do, but it's simply this, you are relying on God. How I know it is God Paul talked about because in Galatians 2.20, Paul says this, I no longer live, it is Christ that lives within me. So if I no longer alive, if I no longer matter, if I no longer is the center of attention, as we know in Americanism, you are the center of attention. But in Christianity, Christ is the center of everything. As a matter of fact, you die to self so Christ can be exalted through you. And Paul said this, I am content not because of what I have or what I don't have. I am content because, and I just give you my whole sermon right there. I am content because of who I am in Christ. In other words, in other words, in Christ, I am satisfied. In Christ, I am sufficient. Have you ever heard this, this equation? If Jesus is on your side, you are the majority. I know we are living in an age and day and age where it seems as if you need more, more and more and more and more and more and more. People become so selfish 
Because we need more because we cannot be satisfied with what we have. And here's something I want to tell you, even before I go any further. Being content is not synonymous with complacency. If you're taking notes, you can take notes and tweet that, whatever you do. Put in the chat, whatever you do. Being content is not synonymous with complacency. Complacency is that you stand there and do nothing. It's like, woe is me. But being content is realizing this in spite of what is going on around you. If I got Jesus, I am satisfied. Thank you, PJ. Hey, thank you, Pepper. In Stoic philosophy, the Greek word described a person who dispassionately accepted whatever circumstances that they find themselves into. But the Greeks, this contentment came from a personal sufficiency. But for Paul, this came from the strength that he had in Christ. Um, uh, they tell this, this story of a man who went to a minister for counseling. And the man was in the midst of financial collapse. He said to the minister, I have lost everything. And the minister says, oh, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your faith. No, the man corrected him. I haven't lost my faith. Well then, I am sad to hear that you've lost your character. The man says, I didn't say that either. He corrected him. He says, I still have my character. And the minister says, I'm sorry to hear that you've lost your salvation. The man said, that's not what I said. I haven't lost my salvation. The minister said, you have your faith? You have your character? You have your salvation? It seems to me you got everything you need. <laughs> Y'all missed this. Y'all going to make me work hard for it. He still got his faith. He still got his character. He still got his salvation. Then therefore, you got everything you need. That's what I'm trying to tell you in so many words and in my book in English. If you got your faith, if you got your character, if you got Jesus, you still got everything. That's what you need to be satisfied. John Stott, a famous theologian, was this. He says, contentment is the secret of inward peace. Now, I, let, let, can I get my soapbox for a minute? Um... I know we are in this modern age where, I mean, Oprah and the secret religion that she promoted, the secret, you know, there's a book I know for the Oprah fan over here, up, up in here. I'm sorry for offended you. Um, and I know Eastern mysticism says you got to center yourself to find the secret of peace and all that stuff, but that's mumbo jumbo. That's garbage. For, for the French-speaking one, that's garbage. Um, here, here, the definition just that word for contentment is this. Contentment is the secret of inward peace. And if you go back in Philippians, it talks about the peace in chapter 2, the peace that surpasses all understanding. Once you have that peace, that's what David says, 10,000 may fall to my right, 10,000 to my left. I'm good. See, what I'm trying to convey to you is that 
Your satisfaction has to do with the person in Jesus Christ rather than your circumstance. Contentment, when we have it, it frees us to enjoy every good thing God has given to us. When you are not content, when you are not content, when you are not content, you are the most miserable person on earth. I, I, I mean, my father got something he said to me. My father got something he said to me that I, I, I always mention this. He said the reason why people in Haiti are so miserable, one of the main reasons why they are so miserable, it's not because they don't have much. It's because that even when in the little that they have, when they find something, they don't know how to enjoy what they have. And you know something? We in America, we have the same problem. Even though we have so much. I mean, <laughs> for the kids over here, right? For those of you young people. Yesterday's, you know, your mom cooked yesterday. And, and it's in the fridge. And you said, what's for dinner? She said, the same thing yesterday. You'd be like, oh, chicken again? Parents, can I tell you something? I mean, I'm speaking to myself here. When they said chicken again, you better make a chicken for the next 10 days. Do you know what you do? You know when you do this, you know what you're doing? You're teaching them to be content. Because what happened is this. We don't realize, and our kids, and I said, my wife and I, we talked about this, and I think I shared this with, with Dick and Seju. I said, our kids have first world problems. And we, if we don't pay attention, we become symptomatic of, we have the same symptoms. Yeah, chicken again it is. Yeah. Praise the Lord, it's chicken again. The guy under the bridge, when you get off 95, he, he wishes he was chicken again. So we have to teach, not only ourselves, but teach our kids to be satisfied. I mean, this is something where we have to realize that it's, it's, it's most important for us to live this Christian life. So then, first thing that I want to tell you today, first thing to take away with, to, to, for you to take away with you, is that contentment is not, is a learned skill. It's not a gift. You think Pastor Bray is making this up? Go back to the text. What is this in verse 11? Verse 11 says this, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. So, which means this, we have to teach ourselves what contentment means, and we have to teach our children what it is to be content. And there's a world out there that are watching us. If you are the people that goes to your job, and you are whining and whining and whining and whining and complaining and complaining and all that stuff, and, and then you, you realize that your bills are paid, your mortgage is not backed up, your car's paid, your car's not being repoed, and you still got a job, you got clothes on your back, there's food on your table, you better be. There's this story of a pilot that's told of a pilot about a pilot who always looked down intently on a certain valley on the Appalachians when his, when his plane passes over. As he's flying over, he always looked down. And one day his co-pilot says, what's so interesting in that spot? 
that whenever we pass there, you seem to look at that stream. And well, the pilot says this, when I was a kid, I used to sit down there on a, on a log and, 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 and fish. Every time a plane flew over, I would look up and wish I was flying. Now that I'm flying, I wish I was down there fishing. We have to learn to be content because uh, um, content is not a skill. It's not something that we possess. It's something that we have to teach. We have to teach ourselves. Here, to learn to be content is not just learning to be, you know, what they call resignation. You, you don't just kind of give up. No, learning to be content is to understand that the satisfaction that you 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 have is not based on what's surrounding you, but rather it's based on what's in you. Amen. Your, that's a skill that you have to learn. And here, when Paul says, I have learned, it's come on this, this idea in the Greek, it's this idea of this, based on the experience that I've gone through. This is what I deduct from it. This is my conclusion. In other words, Paul says this, I know what it means to be broke. I know what it means to be hungry. I know what it means to have plenty. But that's not what makes me happy. That's not what brings me joy. What brings me joy is the fact that I know that my name is written in the book of life. In other words, they used to say this, no Jesus, no peace, and oh no Jesus, and oh no peace. K-N-O-W Jesus, K-N-O no peace. K-N-O-W peace. In other words, if you don't know Jesus, you don't know no joy. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know what it means to be happy. But when you know Jesus, you know what it means to be happy. Uh, the, the, the second thing that I want to bring to you is that not only contentment is a learned skill, not a gift, but number two, and you can see it, it's right there in the text. Contentment is not based on your circumstance. Contentment is not based on your circumstance. If you're going to wait for you to find a boo or bay to be happy, you're not going to be happy. As a matter of fact, they said this, the most miserable people that get into marriage are people that are looking for somebody to make them happy. Well, one of my prerequisites when I do premarital counseling with couple, there's a book by Gary Thomas that I said, you got to buy it and read it. Because it says this, it's called Sacred Marriage. The subtitle says this, and y'all, if you're single, if you whatever, you better get that book and read it. It says, what if marriage was not designed to make you happy, but to make you holy? I got one witness. What if marriage was not designed to make you happy, but to make you holy? People that seek to find happiness 
and other people are people that are looking for circumstantial happiness. The moment that man or that woman cannot bring you happiness, they got to go. The moment that friend or whomever cannot bring you happiness, they got to go. That's why you see people switches scenery, environment, spouses, friends like they switch underwear. Because circumstance, for those of us who are in Christ, circumstance got nothing to do with our happiness. You've seen those people who are dying on the hospital bed, but they still got a joy on their heart. Why? Because they know, yes, separation from their family on earth is going to be hurtful. It's going to be hard. But they know that the moment they close their eyes, whoo, I wish I had a witness. The moment they close their eyes, they know that they will be in the hands of their maker. So if you know this is what's going to happen to you, then your circumstance on earth means nothing. I wish I, I wish I had a church this morning because I know I'm preaching good. I, I know, I know, I know I'm preaching good. But the reality of it is this. You have to undo your westernism. Because your westernism says this. It's based on your circumstance. Bill Gates is divorced. Jeff Bezos is divorced. And those people got more money than you and I will ever have. So it ain't the resources, but it's about the source. Woo. I, I'm jumping, I'm jumping ahead. I'm jumping ahead on my conclusion now. It's not about the resources, but it's about the source. Somebody said the source. We see that contentment is a learned skill, not a gift. That's in verse 11. In verse 12, we see that circumstance, contentment is not based on your circumstance. And in verse 13, we see that contentment is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the secret. Somebody said, that's the secret. Because now, Paul says, I can do all things through him who give me strength. There, my friends, there, my brothers and sisters, is the hook. But I want to share this with you. Um, and, and this is what it means when you understand the secret and as supposed to be seeking for the secret. There's a story that's called the Diamond Mind of Golconda. Russell um, Conwell told this ancient Persian story. It says there's a man named Ali um, Afed who owned a very large farm that had orchards, grain fields, and gardens. He says, Ali was a very wealthy man, and he was a content man. And one day, Ali entertained a guest who told him all about diamonds and how wealthy it would be if he owned a diamond mine. Ali, a fed, went to bed that night, a poor, poor man, poor because he was discontented, craving a mine of diamonds. He sold his farm to search for the rare stones diamonds can give. He traveled the world over, finally becoming so poor, so broken, and so defeated that he committed suicide. One day, the man who purchased Ali Afed's farm led his camel 
into the garden to drink water. As his camel uh, um, put his nose in the brook, the men saw a flash of light from the sins of the, of the streams. He pulled out a stone that reflected all the hues of the rainbow. The men had discovered the mine of Golconda, the most magnificent diamond mine in all of history. Had Ali remained at home and dug his own garden, he would have had acres of diamonds instead of experience death in a strange land. The more we want from a human perspective, the less we have. He went to search for something that he possesses all along. He sold what he possesses to search satisfaction and something that he yearned for. But God had given him everything he needed. He was right there under his nose. I'm not just talking about Ali this morning. I'm talking about you and I. What are we looking for? Are we looking for a secret? I'm not saying don't invest. I'm not saying don't get education. That's not what I'm saying. But just make, make no mistake about it. All these things are temporal. All these things are temporal. If you've been here long enough in 2008, you remember what happened to the banking industry? I'm not going to tell you how much money I lost. But here's the thing. There's a song that says, after all I've been through, I still got my joy. Because my joy is not in something else, but my joy is found in the secret, which is Christ. And this is what Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things. And that's why that's where the misinterpretation of verse 14, uh, 13 always come, come, come to comes about. I can do all things, but put it into context. The context is not the circumstance. The context is not whether you have or whether you lack. The context is simply this, because of who Christ is, because of his strength. Can I teach you there real quick before I get to my uh, um, uh, um, conclusion? The word strength means to put power in. See, believers in Christ, he infused them with power. Have you ever gone, if you think about this, and some of you, we need to share those things with our kids. Have you ever said, how did I make it through this season of my life? How did I get over this? When you look back upon what you've been through, what, you know, for those of you, some of us went to college and we, we did four years and six years or whatever, I mean, in the years on ramen noodles. We need to teach our kids that when we're going to school, it wasn't all what it is right now. So when you look how you got through, it wasn't because of so much of anything, but it's simply God favored you. It's because the strength of God, he put the power in you and the power enabled you to go through everything. And what Paul is saying here, everything, all those circumstances that Paul spoken of in verse 11 and 12, he says, well, you know what? The only reason I'm able to get away from this, the only reason I'm able to have this perspective is because I know who my Jesus is. When you know who Jesus is, it changes everything. What does that sense say? Jesus, Jesus changes everything. 
thing. It changes your mind. It changes your eyes. It changes your emotion. It changes how you see everything. And the problem is, is that some of us, we are just checking Jesus on Sunday afternoon. But we don't have Jesus into everything. That's why we are so dissatisfied. If you have Jesus in your relationship, I guarantee you, you will not be dissatisfied. If you have Jesus in your, in your schoolwork, you will not be dissatisfied. If you have Jesus in your job, you will not be dissatisfied. Yeah, you may have a pen in the derriere bus or whatever the case may be. But guess what? If you pray for that, if you can pray for your, your, your manager, if you can pray for them, guess what? Jesus will bring you satisfaction. Because you know why? The same good old way our parents used to say it. If you got a job, you better be grateful. I mean, think about this. Let me get in my soapbox before I close the sermon. We make more money than our parents will ever make. Than our parents ever made. Somehow, someway, they managed to pay tithes and offering and send to Haiti and buy houses and still send you to college and buy you a car. And then we, everything, I'm so broke. I got nothing. That's a sign of someone who is not satisfied. Because our parents... Our forefathers, they were able to do these things simply because it's not because they didn't work hard. They worked hard, but they did all of that because they knew it wasn't the money that made them who they were. It wasn't a big account. Y'all remember some of you, you had to take your parents to the bank to translate for them because they didn't speak no English. I used to be a personal banker. I know what I'm talking about. And you see how they manage you know, schools about to start in Haiti. They sent this. And, and one of the other things too, you, you know, they manage every time. They may not, you, they may not buy you the real brand name, but they will buy you a brand new shoes to go to school. And some of you, the other day I'm, I'm listening to, um, Chris Bosch giving his all of him speech. He was talking about how poor that they were, how they didn't have much. And he said this. He said he was a big Lakers fan when he was a kid growing up. And he said this. His parents finally bought him a jersey. It was a Lakers jersey. It was for Christmas. And he said, all he had in front of it was Lakers. No name in the back. No name, no numbers. But just Lakers. But he said this. He was so happy when he got the jersey. When he went to school, the kids made fun of him. Because he wasn't the real thing. But nevertheless, because he, he wanted it so much. When he got it, he was very happy. In other words, you may have a knockoff. As far as clothing, as far as shoes, as far as whatever the case may be. But can I tell you something? When it comes to your satisfaction, you ain't got no knock of Jesus. You got the real thing. So now you say, Pastor Perry, great little speech. But how, well, well, what does that mean? You know, well, well, how do I apply this in my life? I'm glad you asked, and I'm done. Two questions we're going to answer in the application, and I'm done. Where does contentment reside? Number one, contentment is of the heart. And here, and here, in your heart. Contentment isn't denying one's feelings about wanting or de desiring what they can have. But instead, it exhibits a freedom from being controlled by those feelings. That's what we said. That's what, that's, that's the difference between kids and adults. It, it, it's, it's mind boggling when you see adult throwing tantrum. Kids, you can understand. After two or three, you know, good old Haitian self, little pow pow, we'll, we'll fix the problem. I'm not, I'm, I'm not promoting 
uh, um, child abuse. That's not what I'm saying. A little discipline, you know, will fix the problem. But when you're an adult, I want this, I want this, I want that. They got this car, I want that car. They got this thing, I want that thing. That's, it shows a hard problem. And then I know the kids are laughing, but guess what? The kids are watching us, and then when they grow up, they become the same thing. It's a heart issue. Contentment is in your heart. And, and if Jesus lives in my heart, where does Jesus live? In my heart. Remember, I got joy, joy, down what? Down in my heart. Number two, as far as where does contentment reside, contentment is of the will. It's of the heart. It's of the will. In the Hebrew words, the same word that, de- that describes, that defines heart is the same one that defines heart, mind, and heart, the same word. But here's the thing. If in my heart, I make up my mind. In my heart. You guys see what I'm saying? See what I'm doing here? If I know Jesus is in my heart, then I can make up my mind and say, because of what I know that's in my heart, I'm good. And this is one of the things. This is, this is the number one question application that we need to answer. Number two, the second question, and I'm done. So what is the secret? Well, I'm a Baptist preacher. It's my way to bring it to Jesus. Here, I'll give you four things real quick. As far as number two. Remember the cross. It's all about living for Christ. In Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to, for me to die, for me to live, is, living is Christ and dying is gain. In other words, what I'm doing is not because of me, it's because of Christ. So then, where, 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 how can I get this? How can I get this? Well, I have to look at the cross. Because when I look at the cross, everything changes. Then, don't, don't throw a rock at me now. The second part of this, you gotta let go of the past. You guys hear me say this all the time. The gospel according to Sister Elsa. Let it go. Let it go. Let go of the past because here it is. What you don't realize is this. If you keep holding on to the past, Christ cannot supply to your current need because you are trying to make room for something that's already passed. We have to learn to wait on God. Surrender our timetable and our future to Him. Oh, that's my number three. Live one day at a time. Let go of the past. Uh, Let go of the past. In Philippians 3.13, Paul says this, forget what's behind. Let me keep moving forward. And, and, and now number three, live one day at a time. And, 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 and you cannot, my favorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 6.33. My favorite verse. And, and for this reference in the sermon is Philippians 4.19. But my favorite verse is Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. I call that life's equation. But if you read 25, the pericope, the little pericope, 25 to 34, it says, it's, it's almost like the Bob Marley song. Don't you worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. That's basically what he said. Jesus is, Jesus is like singing like Bob Marley. I'm, 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 I'm not making this up. I'm, I'm, being, I'm being honest. He says, he says, listen, tomorrow got his own issues. Tomorrow is none of your business. He says, chill, relax, man. Uh, in Jamaican accent, relax, man. Because tomorrow I take care of that. 
What I give you today, enjoy for today. Isn't that the secret? Isn't that the secret for satisfaction? And, 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 and number, number four, last one, it says this. Find sufficiency in Jesus Christ. Well, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The term content, content suggests, again, self-sufficiency. But in the context of this text, it means to be at peace with Christ's sufficiency. It's not what you want. It's not what you think, but rather what Jesus has done. What it says in, in John, John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Are you connected this morning? Because if you're not connected, I, I promise you this, a river that's well connected never runs dry. But, but I'm done, I'm done. But a river that connects never runs dry because the source that brings a river fresh water has nothing to do with the river. Because it's the connection. So then, are you connected this morning? Because if you are the branches, guess what? He is the vine. He is the, he is the tree. You just, you just a branch up of it. Guess what? If the branch is well connected, he's never going to once dry. Because the branch always going to find what it needs. What is that song, Jaira? You are enough. Jaira, you are good. Is Jesus enough for you this morning, this afternoon? Have you found satisfaction in Christ Jesus? Because I can tell you this. There's going to be a season of your life where you have plenty. There may be a season of your life where you have nothing. But I guarantee you, circumstance does not, circumstance does not make your contentment. It is knowing the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this morning, this afternoon, my kids keep reminding me, it's that morning, it's afternoon. This afternoon, for those of you who are watching, and for those of you who are here, we, so, we thank God that you all are here. Praise the Lord. But don't leave this place. Don't leave this place being dissatisfied. And, and there are two ways for you to be satisfied this morning. Two ways. If you never know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior, you are not satisfied. You are a miserable human being. If you don't know him, you are miserable. So that means you need to give your life to him. You need to make sure that he resides in your heart. So then you are able to experience what Philippians 4.13 says. I can do all things. Through Christ will give me strength. That is for those of you who are not Christian. But if you are a Christian and you've been dissatisfied with life, you've been unsatisfied, you've been unhappy about everything, you know, they said nothing is worse than a grumpy Christian. If that's you, every eye closed, every head bow. Every eye closed, every head bow. If that's you, would you do me a favor? Just Slip your hands so I can pray for you. So we can pray for you. If you are not satisfied, if you did not realize that your satisfaction comes from Christ, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you? This is not putting you on blast. If you're a child sitting here and you've been not content with what you've been given and you want to learn how to be content, would you? and you said, Pastor, pray for me. Would you raise your hand? 
I see you, my sister. I see you, my sister. Is there anybody else? I see you, my sister. Is there anybody else? As the worship team is going to come and sing, Jaira, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that God will be enough for you and that you know that your satisfaction has to do with Christ, not your circumstance. Father, we bless you. We thank you for your good God. Thank you for giving us satisfaction through Christ Jesus. Lord, we we ask for forgiveness for the fact that we have not recognized that. We've been grumpy. We've been mean. We have not been grateful for what we have. But we've been envious of others for what they have. And Father, we realize when we do this, it's sinning against you. So Father, we come not only to confess, but we come to ask for your help. To say, Lord, we know that you are enough for us. You are good. You are enough. Sorry for not realizing this much sooner, but we thank you for because it's never too late. On this day, we recognize that you are enough. You are the source of our satisfaction. Father, let us never go back to where we lose that fact that you are enough for us, that you are satisfaction. Empower those who have raised their hands through the reading of your word, through renewing their minds, to know that you are enough, you are the satisfaction, and that you are able to supply all their needs according to your riches and glory. Do this, Father, so your name will be glorified. We ask for all these things in the majesty of Jesus. And just say amen. Say, say amen one more time. Amen. Come on, get on your feet, put your hands together, praise God.